This is Watershed. I'm Anna Hamilton. Welcome to the second episode of Watershed, a podcast exploring Florida in flux. Every other week, we bring you stories about Floridian culture and our changing environment. If you missed our first episode, don't worry. Visit us at watershedradio.com to hear our story about Amendment 1 on Florida's November 4th ballot. Okay, if you're like me, September and October are some of the best months to be a Floridian. It means the start of oyster season. What's neat is that each oyster is regionally unique. The slender, salty East Coast oysters, for instance, are nothing like their sweet, stout Gulf Coast kin. Each estuary system produces a distinct and delicious specimen. In Apalachicola, a small Franklin County fishing town in Florida's Panhandle, oysters are the foundation of the area's culture and economy. In many ways, the oyster is Apalachicola's culinary mascot. But the bay, so famous for its eponymous oyster, is in serious trouble. I do shrimping, fishing, oystering, scalloping, every industry that there is to do with seafood, I'm involved in it. This is Ricky Banks. We're at the mill pond on the outskirts of Apalachicola, where seafood workers on the bay store their boats. My granddad done it, my dad done it, and then I was just, I guess, born into it. <laughs> Banks is freshly back from harvesting cannonball jellyfish, and he's got a video of it on his smartphone. Here's a video of some jellyfish we were catching the other day. See them in the water. Oh my gosh, there are thousands of them. Cannonball jellyfish are plump, pale pink, and a little bigger than a grapefruit. In the water, they look like miniature rocket ships. That was only dragging two minutes. And you have that many on both sides of the boat. Too. How many do you think are in that net? I would say that right there is around 4,000 pounds. The harvesting crew Banks is working with has netted so many jellyfish that they're pressing through the sides of the nets and straining the boat's capacity. Listen carefully. You can hear the ropes popping and straining under all the weight. That's one drag. If you listen to the ropes, it's very dangerous. That Cannonball jellyfishing is a new venture for Banks. This year, he's had to diversify his fishing. If you're a seafood worker, whatever's making the most money in seafood at that time is what you do. When the shrimping's good, we shrimp. When the cannonballing's good, we cannonball. When the oysters are good, we oyster. When the fishing's good, we fish. Apalachicola once supplied some 90% of Florida's oysters. 2.6 million pounds of oysters came from the bay in 2009, but that number plummeted to 470,000 pounds in 2013. October should be peak season for Apalachicola Bay and for oystermen like Banks. But yields are at an all-time low, and the seafood workers are feeling the effects. There used to be hundreds of oystermen on the water. I mean, literally it wasn't nothing for five or six hundred boats to be on the bay at one time. And now if there's a hundred boats, it's amazing. Historically, this bay has been a hotbed for oystering, and the oyster from this region has a worldwide reputation. The confluence of salt water from the Gulf of Mexico and fresh water from the Apalachicola River provides an ideal habitat for oysters. Georgia's Chattahoochee and Flint Rivers are the headwaters to the Apalachicola, and currently all three waterways are at the center of a water war lawsuit between Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. 
It's a tragedy of the commons, and so far Georgia has come out on top. The Army Corps of Engineers controls these waters and allows the Atlanta metropolitan area, population 6 million, to withdraw 360 million gallons of water a day. That's a hard battle for Apalachicola Bay proponents and Franklin County, population 12,000. The damming, upriver regulations, and withdrawals have nearly run the river dry here in North Florida. The problem is that we're at the bottom of the pipeline, you know. Everybody else gets their share, and we're, we have what's left over, you know. We don't have a say, and the Army Corps of Engineers is in charge of the river, and until they make an executive decision to for Atlanta to open up the dams and give us more river flow or more water flow than we have what they allow to go. Here, everything rests on a healthy and varied flow from the Apalachicola River. But given the low levels and scant oyster populations, local organizations are considering a closure of the bay to harvesting. The tension locally is between the bay, which needs to rest to recover, and the oystermen, for whom work on the bay is a way of life. For many seafood workers, other occupations are out of the question. I love it. It's what I've always done. It's what my parents done. And and plus the people around here, there's there's nothing else to do. I don't want to leave where I was raised my whole life. This is a beautiful area. I wouldn't, there's nowhere in the world like it. I have the Gulf of Mexico right at my front door. I have the Apalachicola River at my back door and the forest in my yard. So why would I want to leave? So what exactly is happening out there on the mudflats and in the oyster beds? For that, we turn to Felicia Coleman. Felicia Coleman, I'm a marine ecologist, uh, work on the interaction uh, among species and of species with their habitat. Dr. Coleman is director of the Florida State University Coastal and Marine Laboratory, which sits near the edge of Apalachicola Bay, directly on the Gulf of Mexico and St. Teresa. During her career, Dr. Coleman was a Pew Marine Conservation Fellow and served on the Gulf of Mexico Fishery Management Council. Oh, man, we're uh, probably on the prettiest part of the, of the west coast of Florida. Uh, it's remarkable, I think, this lab is, because you walk out of your office and walk into your study site to do whatever you want. This estuary is an incredibly complex and fascinating ecosystem. The river brings in fresh water packed with beneficial nutrients, which mixes with the salty gulf water. Species that live here, like the oyster, rely on this brackish soup. Oyster, most people think about oysters as food. They're delicious. Uh, raw, steamed, little cocktail sauce. It's fabulous. And, and Apalachicola, this region, is quite famous for the oysters it, it produces. They produce them relatively rapidly. They're fat uh, and marvelous. Um, what oysters like about Apalachicola Bay is there's a um, has been a steady flow of fresh water that comes down through the Apalachicola River. And that fresh water does uh, a number of things uh, for oysters in the bay. One of the things that it does is it keeps the uh, level of salt, the salinity, uh, down to an extent that a number of things that would prey on oysters can't uh, enter the bay. So when you have reduced flow, whether it's from drought or watery diversion or something like that, the oysters become more susceptible to predation uh, and to disease, it turns out. The disease level of a number of things that are um, 
ver detrimental both to the oyster and to humans um, becomes um, greater in the population with a lack of water flow. If salinity is thrown out of whack, oysters suffer. But the equation is even more complicated than Apalachicola's reduced flow. Dr. Coleman says that a few things have compounded the situation. For one, we're in a long-term drought, which doesn't help the freshwater levels. Also, the bay is still trying to recover from over-harvesting in 2010. That was the year of the BP oil spill. At the time, officials worried that the oil would make its way into the bay and smother the oysters, so the state of Florida eased harvesting regulations. Oil never reached the bay, but the damage was done. Those factors combined have decimated the Apalachicola Bay oyster population. And, says Dr. Coleman, the dwindling oyster numbers could have a huge impact, perhaps a bigger impact than many of us realize. Um, they actually provide uh, services. Um, it's kind of an unfortunate term, but it's ecosystem services. And that means that they're providing something for the ecosystem, not just for humans. A lot of us tend to be very human-centric about an ecosystem service. It's not just for the, our benefit, although there are many benefits. But oysters can, you know, a single can, oyster can filter about 50 gallons of water in a day. And if you add that up, like in the Chesapeake Bay in the 1800s, they figured out there were enough oysters there to filter the entire bay just in a day or two. This filtering is important because it cleans and clears the water of pollutants. Oyster beds also provide crucial habitat for young fish and many other species. And they help buffer against storm surge. So if the oysters die out, it could cause a chain reaction. Uh, again in Chesapeake, and we don't want it to happen here, when the oyster population died back and they couldn't filter the water, all this sediment built up in the water column so light couldn't get through effectively to the seagrass beds in the bottom, so then the seagrass died. So there, there are all these linkages, and we tend to call it the invisible fabric of nature, and we don't understand what that fabric is. We don't understand the weave uh, until it starts to unravel. Uh, and that's when it becomes very, very clear uh, where we must up. With all this in mind, I brought up the idea of ecosystem collapse. I know, it sounds apocalyptic, but with so much resting on oysters, it's a cause for concern. If you're talking about a type of system collapsing, you know, it, it means that it's changing dramatically. If you're talking about the life people know in Apalachicola Bay, that could be gone uh, without too much more time going by the way things are going. But what happens with any system, you know, it can only take so much uh, abuse. And then it reaches uh, a tipping point. And then it completely flips into something we don't recognize. One of the things that we do have to understand about any type of natural system, it's always in flux. It's always changing. So you can't, you might be able to conserve things are going, that are going on, but it's not like historic buildings. You're not going to preserve them. You can't preserve something that's constantly in flux the way um, ecological systems are. So, you know, the way things are going, um, I could... I could see a collapse, yeah, or a very, very profound change.
The science of oystering is not lost on many of the seafood workers along the Apalachicola Bay. Among many Franklin County residents, there's a widespread recognition and sense of responsibility for the health of this ecosystem. Uh, here in Franklin County, we, we, we don't have 10-story condominiums, we don't have Walmarts, we don't have theme parks, we don't have malls. Everything is based on the environment here and trying to keep a good, clean environment. This is Joseph Parrish. Everyone around Apalachicola knows him as Smokey. He oversees shrimp processing as the plant manager for Buddy Ward and Sons Seafood. He's also a Franklin County Commissioner. Clean environments are a lot of the industry that, that you would find other places up and down the coast and across the country. We're never allowed to come into Franklin County because we were trying to preserve our culture, our history, our heritage, our way of life here, and also protect the environment. Uh, people are very, very concerned with protecting the environment and the biosphere and the estuary here that we have and allow it to uh, continue as it has for hundreds of years. Parrish was born into a family of commercial fishermen and has lived in Apalachicola nearly his whole life. He straddles the line between policymaker and seafood worker, and Parrish knows just how devastating it will be for this county if the bay collapses. So everybody's dependent on, on one way or another, directly or indirectly, on what happens with Apalachicola Bay, from your grocery stores to your auto shops to your restaurants. Everything's a trickle-down effect of when the bay is good and everybody's making money, there's more money in the economy, which is good for everybody. So, you know, it is still one of our major economic drivers here in Franklin County. Even the tourist industry, people come here for the wholesome oysters. They come here because they can catch fish out of our waters and eat it and not have to worry about contamination. I mean, it, it, it affects everything, every sector of our economy here. So just as oysters are the basis of the ecosystem, the oystermen are the basis of Franklin County's economy. And the implications of a sick bay extend far beyond Apalachicola. Uh, if it continues going and we lose our oyster industry, we're, we're probably going to lose our estuary and our bay and its ability to, to produce a lot of seafood. And a lot of seafood is born, you know, raised here in the marshes and the estuary, and then it migrates into the Gulf of Mexico. So it makes a huge contribution to the amount of seafood in the Gulf of Mexico is, is a number of different species spend a portion of their life cycle here in the estuary, especially in the juvenile stages, and then it progresses and moves out into the Gulf of Mexico. So it not only affects Apalachicola and the Bay and Franklin County economy as a whole, it affects the economy of the whole Gulf of Mexico. Two local organizations are grappling with a plan of action. Enter the Franklin County Seafood Workers Association and the Seafood Management Assistance Resource and Recovery Team, or SMART for short. First thing I do is check what river eating is. Shannon Hartsfield is the president of the association and chair of SMART. He's also a proud fourth-generation Apalachicola oysterman. Really? Mm-hmm. And what's the reading now? A second. Hartsfield is checking the river depth online. This morning, the levels are at 2.7 feet. Hartsfield remembers that when he was young, the standard was between 7 and 8 feet. Since 99, we've been dealing with the, the water issues with Atlanta. That's when they changed their, the Corps changed their, their operations, you know, how much water flow that we received. And um, it's been a rough 20 years. According to Hartsfield, an Apalachicola Bay oysterman in the early 1980s could catch anywhere from 50 to 60 bushels of oysters per day. Today, the average harvester struggles to bring in even one bushel. And of the oysters in that bushel, many are too small and technically illegal. The old saying is around here is that bay is a bank and you withdraw what you want that day. So, you know, it's, all, and it's not the case anymore. 
If that's not the case, it doesn't matter how hard you work now, you're not going to get very much out of it. Not when you, you know, you stay legal, you're not getting much out of it. Hartsfield says that harvesting these undersized oysters depletes and, next and year's my, stock my, my and hurts the Apalachicola oyster's reputation. Right now, the stuff that's getting harvested, what's gets coming in, is giving Apalachicola a bad name. Uh, I mean, there's oysters that's, that's, that's from an inch and a quarter to two inches. You know, that's just taking all them juvenile oysters in and putting them on the market. I mean, I've, I've got pictures sent to me where... They're taking a saltine cracker, and usually that's, that's what size you want. You know, your three-inch oyster is usually the size of a saltine cracker when you put them on it. Well, they're taking that saltine cracker and putting it over the top of the oyster, and you can't see the oyster. That's shell and all. I'm not talking about meat. I'm talking about shell and all. And and so who say, you know, two or three years, it starts picking up, start looking really good for us, and then we'll have Apalachical oysters. I don't want Apalachical oysters. If, um, if that's the case... It's not going to do much good for our industry to come back. Seafood workers are divided over what to do. Many agree that a temporary closure of the bay is the only way to replenish the dangerously low oyster numbers. But others argue against that, afraid of losing the only livelihood they know. Most oystermen now are, are third and fourth generation guys and and struggling, you know, really struggling and not knowing what else to do. I mean... Fortunately, I graduated from school, but there's a lot of kids that that doesn't see a future in school, and they drop out. You know, there's kids that never even probably went, you know, when it was 13, 12, 13 years old, and that's all they've done. You know, they don't have much education, and without having that knowledge, you don't have much of an opportunity to do anything else. You know, you just use your back for what you're able to do in life, and... um that's where we are. Both the Seafood Workers Association and SMART are considering a number of strategies to help the bay and the oystermen. A hopeful sign in the immediate future is $6.3 million federal grant dollars, which will benefit both the oystermen and recovery efforts. Hartsfield says that a large portion of this will go towards reshelling the bay's oyster beds. And what we've been doing is going back to natural bottom, restoring the natural bottom, and we can see life just in you know, three to six months, everybody everybody in the, in the oyster industry knows you've got to keep shelling. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like farming. You know, you're basically, see, you know, we're farming the, the, the bay, you know. If you don't keep cultivating and, and seeding, you're not going to have a product, you know. I mean, you look up at all the peanut farmers, you know, if, if they went and harvest the field and didn't go back and plant, replant, they're not going to, you know, next season not going to harvest anything. So it's the same way the oyster industry as well. While much hard work is happening on the ground in Franklin County, it's going to take some major decisions on the state level between Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. Things that happen has just happened real slow. You know, we're used to things happening quicker. Hartsfield is optimistic about the Bay's resilience, but it requires some serious action soon. For our bay to recover, it's going to take it, you know. It's wanting to come, it's wanting, it's thriving, it's wanting to come back, it's going to come back. But we, as the industry, has got to let it come back. It's going to be rough, it's going to be rough, but it can't be no rougher than what it is right now.
If you'd like more information on the Apalachicola Bay conundrum, be sure to visit us at watershedradio.com. I'm sticking up some links to additional coverage. Special thanks this week to Daniel Ward, Hannah Brown, Amy Evans, Pat Hamilton, Felicia Coleman, and Laura Edwards. Our music comes from the one, the only, the soon another. We'll see you in another two weeks with a brand new story from Watershed. And hey, if you like this podcast, please consider making a donation. We can't tell these stories without your help. I'm Anna Hamilton, and thanks for listening. Oh.